Well, as you see on the screen, tonight we'll be talking about five things that blind us. You may not have known that you're going blind, but it could be that you are. So we'll be talking about that in just a minute. But first, I want to say a word of welcome to all who are visiting with us tonight. We have a few visitors in our midst, and we're thankful that you're here. It's good to see so many of our members back on this Sunday evening. I know there's some sickness going around, and some are traveling and whatnot, but we're thankful to be together to glorify the God of heaven. That's what it's all about when Christians come together to assemble for worship. And it's an honor and a privilege to glorify Him. So feel privileged. It's, it's a great experience. Well, many of us have concerns about our eye care. I know I'm among those. Uh, I get my eyes examined fairly regularly. I spend a lot of money on glasses and contacts and contact solution and uh, spend a lot of time looking for contacts that I've dropped down the sink or whatever it is. So lots goes into, you know, just the eye care of this particular person that's standing in front of you. And I know a lot of you experience those kinds of things and other things too. A lot of us maybe take vitamins to support our eye health. Occasionally, someone has a problem with their eyes, uh, like a sty or an infection or a pink eye or allergic conjunctivitis, which I think I had Wednesday night. If anybody saw me Wednesday night and wondered why in the world my eyes were so red, and several of you came up to me and said, why in the world are your eyes so red? I said, I think it's an allergy, but they've been weeping all day and they just turned really red. But uh, I think they're okay. Uh, be all of that as it may, we've all experienced those kinds of things. And there are even more serious problems than that. Uh, detached retinas and cataracts and macular degeneration and glaucoma. And uh, I have a couple of those things myself. Uh, the macular degeneration I've been wandering around with for about 15 years now. And that's always frightening. You know that that could turn bad at any time. So you do what you can to uh, ameliorate that and try to prevent it from getting any worse. Uh, and, and again, I know many of you are dealing with that sort of thing as well. So we're, many of us are familiar with problems with our eyes and the potential that we fear of, of losing our eyesight, getting so bad that we just can't use our eyes. There are, there are things that can make us go blind spiritually, even when we have received our sight. Interesting passage, I think it is, difficult one, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, which speaks of those who were once enlightened. The contemporary English version said they'd seen the light and they tasted of the heavenly gifts. But they might go astray. If they fall away, the writer says, it's impossible to renew them to repentance. So there are those who can see the light and yet go blind after that. I'm talking to people tonight, by and large, who have seen the light. You've been illuminated by the gospel. You've obeyed the gospel. You've come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. But don't think that your spiritual sight is necessarily going to be permanent if you don't guard it. If you don't take care of it. And we need to be aware of things that could potentially blind us. And there are a number of these that are mentioned in Scripture. I just want to share five things that I see in Scripture that might potentially blind us. And the first of those is money. Money can really blind folks. Money can blind a person to justice and discernment and the fair treatment of others. The awareness of this among God's people goes all the way back uh, into the Old Testament. The book of Exodus, chapter 23 and verse 8 as Moses is enumerating some of the requirements and laws uh, for God's people, he says to them, 
You shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Strange things people will say and do for money. A little extra money, whether it's a bribe or cheating on their income taxes or whatever it might be. How it turns people into what they were not before and blinds them sometimes to the perversion of justice, to their own sins, and to unfairness that they meet out upon others. And we see it all the time. In our society, which, let's face it, uh, I like capitalism better than some of the other uh, you know, ways that e- economies function, but it's certainly not perfect. It's certainly not perfect. And it, it does tend to um, sort of elevate greed, doesn't it? And we realize that money is to be had. And so in corporate America today, there are many corporations, I'm not indicting all of them, but there are many corporations that the bottom line is the top line, right? And whatever they can do to make money, they're going to do for money. And it occurs to me as I'm dealing, especially with big corporations, it has occurred to me many times over the years, that they're not really interested in providing a service. Their main interest is in separating me from my money. (laughs) That's the main interest. But that that money and the love of it, it really, as Paul will write to Timothy, destroys a lot of people. Destroys a lot of people's faith. Deuteronomy 16 and verse 19, you shall not pervert justice, you shall show not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Again, it's prevalent in our culture, what people will do for money. But it's not just in a culture that's wealthy as ours is. It's not just in a land that is prosperous as ours is. But there are equal or worse problems in countries where poverty reigns. And what a person will do for money. And how just a little bit of money offered to them can often twist the very way they think about what's true and what's right and what's honest and what's good. And sad to say, we've seen it sometimes in, in Christians in some of the places I travel to. In several countries in Africa, in uh, Central America and South America, where poverty reigns, the love of money sometimes overtakes men's hearts to pervert the way of justice. And the thing is, when, when somebody's eaten up with this love of money, they don't see justice anymore. They don't see truth anymore. They don't see righteousness anymore. They, just, they don't see it. The money has blinded them to all of those things. And they rationalize their theft or their mistreatment of others or the misuse of funds. They rationalize those things because they've been blinded by money. Having wealth, which is the problem in our country, as I've often said, You know, if you're at the poverty line in America, you're wealthier than 80% of the people in the world. We don't even know what poverty is really in our country. In our country, in our culture, and even among Christians, wealth may blind us to our deep need for Jesus. 
That's what happened in Laodicea. I want us to go back, and I, I know we've looked at the churches of Asia in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 before, the messages that Jesus has for each one, and, and the most famous of those messages is the message to Laodicea. And if I ask you what was the problem, if I just went around the room and asked every Christian in this room, what, what's the problem with Laodicea? I, I imagine that 9 out of 10 of you would say well, lukewarmness, right? They were lukewarm. Everybody's shaking their head. Yeah, that's what I would say. That's what I would say. They were lukewarm. That's their problem. But what did it mean for them to be lukewarm? In what way were they lukewarm and how did they get to be lukewarm? That's maybe the deeper question that sometimes we don't answer and think about. But it's in the text. For Jesus says to them, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. See what money has done to the Christians at Laodicea? See what wealth has done to them? They don't believe they need anything, including what Jesus has to offer. We sometimes wonder why it is, and talking about the, the countries that are impoverished, that we have some of which, we have some fellowship with Christians in several of these. And we, we, we look at, as I looked at today, Shevanawa, where Reason Marara preaches, six baptisms this morning, six baptisms this morning. That's not an unusual thing. We look at these reports of all the baptisms, all the people coming to the Lord in, in these foreign countries, in these countries that are third world and impoverished, some of them the most poorest country, the poorest countries on earth. And people coming to Jesus by the droves because why? They don't have anything. They know they need something. We think we have everything and we don't need anything or anybody. We're self-sufficient in our eyes. And money blinds us to our real needs, to our real spiritual needs. Please see this. Please see this. The depth of our need for Jesus is every bit as great in the United States of America as it is in Southern Africa or Central America or wherever you want to name. But we often don't see that. Jesus says to Laodicea, you say I am rich, you have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, blind, and naked. You've got nothing. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. Interesting thing about Laodicea, it was a very, very wealthy place. As we've studied this when we've gone through the book of Revelation, it was a banking center uh, of Asia Minor. It was a producer of a very fine wool that was sold all over the Roman Empire. And it was a place where there was a medical school and it produced a, an eye medication that apparently actually was fairly effective that prevented people from some eye diseases and problems. It was right there in Laodicea. And Jesus says, you really need to get some eye salve from me so that you can see. They needed to see. Been blinded by money. A second thing that can blind us is refusing to open and read the Bible. You say, well, how is that blindness? Well, what's the difference between a person who doesn't have a Bible and a person who has a Bible but won't open it and read it. There's not a difference. 
They're both blind to what God has to say. And to the extent that we will not open our Bibles or we don't with regularity open our Bibles and look at what God actually says and what some, instead of what some preacher, me, says or some other preacher says or what everybody else in the world is saying about Jesus and His Word and His will, when I don't take the time and discipline myself to look into the Word of God myself to see what it actually says, I'm just as blind as the person who doesn't even have a Bible. And Isaiah, in a fascinating way in Isaiah chapter 29, uh, talks to the people of Israel in this way. This attitude that blinded Israel and really that the Lord caused them to blind, be blind because they didn't receive and appreciate His Word. They wouldn't listen to it. They wouldn't look into it. They wouldn't accept it. Look at the way he puts it. The Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and he's covered your, your heads, namely the seers. In other words, he's taking away their prophets and their effective seers. He says the whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate. In other words, here's a person you can read, and the book is sealed up, and you deliver a book to someone and, and say, read this, please. And he says, I cannot. It is sealed. Well, it's, it's closed up. There's a chain around this. I, I, I can't read it. Then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate. He can't even read and say, read this, please. He says, I am not literate. Therefore, the Lord says, inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts from me and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. They don't know anything about my word. They don't know anything about my word. What they know is what they're telling one another, their traditions, whatever it might be. What grandma and grandpa said, what everybody else is doing. But they don't know what I say. And they're blind to what I say. A little later on, in Isaiah chapter 56, Isaiah particularly looks to the spiritual leaders of Israel and says about them that his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his own gain, from his own territory. Everybody's looking out for themselves. Everybody's interested, as we're getting back to the previous point, in monetary gain and not so much in what God has to say. Knowing that and sharing that with the people and warning folks when they're not going the right way. Our attitude toward God, God's Word and toward the understanding of it and the reading of it can just blind us just blind us to truth. Our unexamined traditional understanding may blind us to truth. We have um, a lot of traditions. In churches of Christ, we have a lot of traditions. And a lot of them are just fine. In fact, a lot of them are things that we normally do and because they have become normalized and they're based on truth and they are truth that is actually very beneficial for us. The Bible commends those kinds of things that are habitual uh, that help us to do 
things that God has commanded to do. And so, in our meeting times, those are traditional. The way a church building is arranged, that's traditional. Uh, we could say a lot of other things that are traditional. And a lot of that's fine because it enables us in a regular way, in a pattern, to keep God's pattern. As long as we don't put those traditions above God's pattern. But what happens sometimes is you get a tradition that was just sort of developed to help you do what God's asked you to do, which is good. But then you pile on top of that uh, another tradition that helps you do that tradition. And you pile on top of that another tradition that helps you do that tradition. And pretty soon you've got 20 layers of traditions, you know, stacked up. And here's what it's like. I, I read a story. It happened just recently out in California. This uh, elderly lady went to the ophthalmologist. And she was really having trouble with one of her eyes. She was a contact wearer. Again, I'm an elderly man who's a contact wearer, so I can kind of relate to this. Uh, but I don't wear the same kind of contacts she did, apparently. But she, she was, what she was doing was, whenever she needed to put in a new contact, soft contacts, I guess, she just put in a new contact. Not taking the other one out. Okay. So she goes to the ophthalmologist. This ophthalmologist is, her, her name is, uh, Dr. Katerina Kurtivi. And she said she didn't know what she was getting into when this lady comes into her office. But she starts taking off contacts one at a time. And the lady says, I can't see out of side. Taking off contacts one at a time. 23 layers of contacts. 23 layers. Now, you said, that's, that's incredible. I thought that was had to be a world's record. But the article went on to explain, though, that not too long ago in 2017, there was a similar elderly person that went to the ophthalmologist and had 27 contacts uh, in, in her eye. Now, as ridiculous as that seems and sounds, here's what human beings do. If we're not careful, we get to looking at our traditions, which, again, may in and of themselves be good, help us to do things that God wants us to do. But then we layer another tradition on top of that, and another tradition on top of that, and another tradition on top of that. And pretty soon we got 26 traditions, all layered on top of each other. And we can't even see the truth over here. We don't even know what truth that's supposed to be supporting. You don't think that's exactly where the Pharisees were in the New Testament? That is exactly where they were. They had started with principles of God, that were true and right. And they'd begun traditions which helped them keep those principles of truth. But they'd layered and layered and layered on top of that until their traditions became to them what the truth was and they couldn't even see the truth. When Jesus would point it out, and this I'm not going to go through all of them, you know what they are, over and over and over again. They were totally blind. Totally blind to the truth. You don't think that can happen to us? That can happen to us. Now, I'm planning to preach a sermon, Lord willing, not too long, about the value of certain traditions to us. There are some that are really valuable. But we've got to make sure we're seeing the truth and not our tradition. There's a wonderful passage in Psalm 119 and verse 18. Open my eyes. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. God, just let me see what's in your book. Just let me see what the truth is. 
willful ignorance of God's ways causes blindness still today as well. And this is all connected. Just refusing to open the Bible. It was a problem willful ignorance was among both Jews and Gentiles. In Matthew 13 and verse 15, Jesus says about the Jews, the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. You might recognize part of that from the book of Isaiah, where we were just a little bit ago. What was the problem with the Jews? They were blind. They have, he says, closed their eyes. Willfully blind. They don't want to see what God's Word says. But Gentiles had the same or a similar problem, and Paul writes about that in Ephesians chapter 4. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. They don't see because they don't want to see. Their heart is blind. Their mind will not accept truth. Being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. I want you to note the connection in that passage between ignorance and uncleanness and lewdness, and lust. So if I can shut off my mind from God's truth, if I can close my eyes, be willfully blinded to what God has to say, you know what that I can then do and not feel bad about it? Whatever I want. And here's what happens. It's happened here at Eastside. It's happened every church I've ever been, been a part of when somebody falls away. It's, it's kind of usually the same old sad story. Somebody gets caught up in some kind of other sin. And they're just going to do that sin and they don't want to hear or know what God says about it. That becomes totally irrelevant to them because their heart is blinded to the truth. By what? And in connection to what? Lewdness, lasciviousness, lust, People want to go an immoral way, live an immoral lifestyle, be involved in marriages that are unscriptural, be involved in relationships that are not right, be involved in, you just name it, out in the world today, right? And shut themselves off from the truth of God's Word. These evils feed off one another. Ignorance produces the justification of uncleanness and lewdness and lust. And uncleanness and lewdness and lust blind us to the truth of God's Word. It's a circle. In John chapter 3 and verse 19, here's what Jesus said about it all. He said, this is the commandment, and the condemnation rally, rather. This is the con- condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Blinded. Blinded by our own desire to walk in the darkness. 
hands. Refusing to listen. Refusing to look into what God's book actually says. We have recorded for us in Scripture those that focused on small things but neglected the big things. I mentioned the Pharisees a little bit ago and I could have, I guess, brought this in there. But I wanted to make this a sort of special point because I think it is important for us to see the danger of being blinded by this. I have been, in my life as a Christian, a stickler for the small things. And I just want to tell you, if anybody's wondering, I will continue to be a stickler for the small things. Count on it. But I want you to know that being a stickler for the small things, if you do that and aren't a stickler for the big things, you have missed everything. You have missed everything. And that's what Jesus tells the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, and verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint, anise, cumin. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These ought you to have done without leaving the others undone. Do them both. Do them both. Do the big things and do the little things. Do it all. Don't leave anything off. He says, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You all get gnats in your houses? I know you do if you live in North Alabama. I think, I honestly think the reason that we all have gnats in, in the houses is because we buy our bananas at Walmart. I'm just saying, I'm, somehow that gets the, banana, the, the, the bananas, get the gnats in the house. But you, you know how it is at our house, especially at this time of year and through the summer, it's going to be, you know, I'll have a glass of water sitting there on the, on the end table next to the couch and and I'll look, I'll get, and it's got a gnat in there. Okay. Well, I'm not going to drink the gnat. Are you going to drink the gnat? I don't know anybody that just likes to drink a gnat in their water. You're going to go pour that out. Well, if I picked up my glass of water one day and there was a camel in there, I for sure wouldn't drink that. You got to get, take care of the big things and the little things. But we get so focused on those little things. Somebody says, well, tell me the difference between the big things and the little things. I'm not sure I always know. Which is why it's important to know that they're all important. I'm not swallowing any gnats. Not intentionally. And I'm also not intentionally swallowing any camels. I just want to do what God says. Nothing else. Nothing less. Nothing more. That's Jesus' message to the Pharisees. They focused on the outside, but not on the inside. He continues on, of course, in that same text and says, Matthew 23 and verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, says it again, blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Everything looks good on the outside, your out, outward life looks just great. It needs to look just great. You know, don't give up on that. The inside is the more important. Cleanse the inside. 
And when you do that, by the way, the outside will be just fine. You won't have to worry about that. Let's not be blind. Let's focus on all that God wants us to do. And let's start with the inner man. Cleansing ourselves on the inside. Being right with God. Be pure. Be real. Be sincere with yourself and with God in your service to Him. Don't fake it. And when you're the real person that God wants you to be on the inside of yourself, you will be the real person God wants you to be on the outside. Things that blind us. Brotherly hate. You may have never heard of that before. Heard a lot about brotherly love, right? But not so much brotherly hate. We got lots of brotherly hate in the world. The world is filled with hate, in fact. And, to be honest, some of it's good. Like I was saying about traditions. There are some traditions that are good. There's some hate that's good. In the book of Amos, Amos chapter 5 and verse 15, we're told to hate evil and love good. That's a good hate, right? When you hate evil. We're supposed to hate evil. Establish justice in the gate, Amos goes on to say. But hate has become just, now it seems to me to be embedded in our culture, in this society. Uh, There's a well-known pop song with the lyric, haters gonna hate, right? That's well-known in our culture, especially among the young people today. I listen occasionally to a a radio program, talk show in the morning. I don't get it much because usually I'm at school. Uh, But when I have my radio station turned to this particular channel, 8 o'clock rolls around, and there's a talk show, and he's got this little bit that's called Hate at 8. Hate at 8. And what he has, he has people call in and talk about things they hate. And there's lots of people calling in. There's lots of people hate things and hate people. So it's a real popular segment. And some of the things that they hate ought to be hated, just to say that. They're hating bad things, which is, that's good. But a lot of it's not. It's just political hatred, hatred of your fellow man, so on and so forth. I say all that to say, there's a reason to hate sometimes, but we are eaten up with hating our brother, hating our fellow man, and just hating to be hated in this culture. Brotherly hate blinds us. I want you to look at the way John puts that in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 11. He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If you're hating your brother, you're blind. You're blind. You're walking in darkness. You're walking in blindness. Brotherly hate often turns a blind eye to forgiveness. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Luke 15, of course we do. There were two sons in that story. Sometimes we call it the parable of the lost son. But really, it's the parable of the lost sons, isn't it? Because as it turns out, at some point in the story, both sons were lost. And at the end, it was the older son who was lost. And why was he lost? Because he could not forgive his brother.
lot of older brothers in the body of Christ might going to be lost because they can't forgive their younger brothers. Leviticus 19 is an interesting passage back in the Old Testament, a pretty critical passage, in fact. It's one that contains the second greatest commandment of the law. Let me read the lead up to that second greatest commandment. Where Leviticus 19 verse 17 says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor, shall not bear sin because of him. You shall not, you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Do you know that said that right before that said that? Love your neighbor as yourself. And the thing right before that is no grudging. No holding a grudge. Are we blind? Are we people who sit in the same assembly and church house with brothers and sisters that we won't talk to, that we hold a grudge against, that we've got a problem with, that we haven't forgiven them when they should have been forgiven long ago? Is that the case? I hope not. I don't know of any cases like that here. I hope there are none. But if that's the case with you, I want you to know tonight, I want you to open your eyes, you're blind. You're blind. You're walking in darkness. On November 30th, 1991, there was a sort of a freak storm that hit the coast of California. And uh, on Interstate 5 near Colinga, at least uh, 14 people died. Dozens of others were injured as topsoil that was being whipped up by uh, wind, tremendous winds, over 50 mile an hour winds, was just blinding all of the cars and drivers on the interstate. And what happened was people were just going along, driving blind as if they weren't blind, right? You just keep on driving. I, I can't see three feet in front of my face, but I'm going to hit the gas anyway. And so what happened was there was a three-mile-long trail of twisted, burning vehicles, three miles long, stacked cars stacked on top of one another. Sometimes they'd been going so fast, hundreds of yards off the freeway. As I said, already 14 people died in that. We can be that way. We're blind. We're blinded by hate. And then we just full, full speed, full bore head, run right into one another and crash and burn. And how many churches have we seen this happen to? How many times has it happened in North Alabama? Where brethren just failed to love each other. Lastly, tonight, as we think about things that blind us, blind us, failing to grow in our faith. Turn, if you will, and I'll have it on the screen, most of it at least. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Peter says, for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. The virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. That last phrase, obviously, is what caught my attention regarding this sermon. What is, what is Peter really saying that causes somebody to be short-sighted, they're so short-sighted, nearsighted, that they're blind? What, what causes that? You've got to back up to the beginning of the reading there to see it. Add to your faith, what's he say? Virtue. Moral excellence. Knowledge of God and His Word. Self-control. Discipline yourself to do what is right. Perseverance. Keep on keeping on no matter what. Godliness. A Godward attitude in all things. Brotherly kindness. Being kind to one another. Greeting one another. Showing your care for one another. And the brotherly kindness, add love. These are the things that Peter says you must add to your faith. You must grow in. I just want to say to us that if we are not growing in these things, if we think, well, I've got faith and you know the rest of my Christian life is it's okay. It's been the same for 50 years. Yeah, we're blind. Because Peter says you need to grow in these things and be growing in these things. And if your faith and these other related virtues are the same as today as they were 10 years ago, are we growing? Are we abounding? Are we adding more and more? That's the concept. I hope we are. I hope we are. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. As we close tonight, let me just ask a question. As I said, most of us here tonight who are of amenable age are Christians. Did the Laodicean church think that it was blind? I don't think they did. Did they know they were blind? I don't think so. They had so much wrong. Did they think that everything was okay while in fact everything was radically wrong? Did they think that everything was right when they were really wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked? They did. And so could we. That's spiritual blindness. You and I can function in life and keep on keeping on thinking that we're seeing when we're not. These things can blind us and we might not even be aware of it. So what it takes is self-examination. Let's do an eye test. Let's see if we're looking straight and seeing correctly. Each and every one of us. Let's not allow ourselves to become spiritually blind. Thank you so much for listening tonight. I'm talking to somebody who's realized has had their eyes opened tonight to something in your life that is amiss. You'd like to correct that. We'd love to help you. Please come while we stand and while we sing.